This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 16th, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. A group of hackers stole NSA malware designed to engage in surveillance of computer systems around the world. Now those tools are up for auction. At this point, there are a few answers about what that hack means, but it's important to get a handle on the right questions. Julian Sanchez, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, offers his thoughts. Who revealed this hack had taken place? So it's, uh, there's a, a sort of a mystery about the hackers themselves here. Uh, the group purporting to have released this uh, data uh, refers to itself as the Shadow Brokers, which uh, is, I think, a, a reference to the video game Mass Effect, in which the Shadow Break- Broker is a kind of uh, sci-fi uh, information uh, dealer uh, who operates this black market and uh, contraband data. Um, the post they put up, uh, which included the uh, supposedly pilfered code, which, again, hasn't been acknowledged by NSA, but which security researchers uh, believe to be genuine or at least uh, an incredibly elaborate hoax if it's not genuine. Um, and uh, in kind of comically broken English, uh, proposed that people send them Bitcoin to bid on the yet unreleased code they say they're holding back. Uh, As many people have noticed, there is a um, pretty radical disconnect between the presumable sophistication that would be required to uh, compromise uh, this code from the equation group, which is a security industry sort of nickname for an incredibly sophisticated hacking group that most people believe is effectively the NSA, the Targeted Access Operations Division within NSA. Uh, and the, the sort of amateurish scheme they've proposed. They're basically saying, send us Bitcoin and we will maybe send you some code. Here's some of the uh, text. This is from the uh, Wired News article by uh, Andy Greenberg. It says, how much you pay for enemies' cyber weapons? We hack equation group. We find many, many equation group cyber weapons. Right. Uh, suggesting, I mean, a kind of sub-Google Translate uh, level of, of command of English. I mean, in in the world of intelligence, it's you can kind of make yourself crazy trying to kind of figure out all the blinds and double blinds. Uh, speculation I've seen that seems, I suppose, plausible is that uh, you know, very likely this is a state-level sophisticated actor uh, that would be capable of, of pulling off this kind of exfiltration. Um, so this sort of amateurish, teen hacker-looking uh, website may be uh, just a sort of a red herring or uh, an attempt to uh, distract attention from the most likely explanation, which is the state actors are behind this. But it's it's very troubling that uh, this kind of hack has occurred and presumably uh, has occurred either executed by our government or other governments in the past. Right. The, one of the troubling things here is that the code that's been released is dated from 2013. Now, we don't know if this is a hack that happened last week and all they've decided to publicize is the older code, uh, most of which is less useful now than it was then. Uh, or, you know, also possible that the, whoever did this hack did it in 2013 or 2014 and has been sitting on it ever since, meaning that they've had access for some time to these tools. And that's troubling, I think, for, for, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is we know from uh, some of the documents that were 
uh, disclosed in the Snowden leak that one of NSA's favorite tricks is finding other spy agencies' hacks or other people's hacks, it might be criminal gangs, and then sort of leapfrogging on that rather than having to compromise a system from scratch themselves. And you can think about how this makes sense, for example, if you think about North Korea. Unsurprisingly, uh, Chinese intelligence agents might have a lot better opportunity to get in and infiltrate North Korean computer systems. And so uh, we believe one of the things NSA figured out was instead of trying to worm their way in from scratch, they could detect uh, what the Chinese had done and sort of piggyback on that to get uh, them, their own foot in the door. Um, the concern that's raised, I think, here is uh, that you can imagine something very similar being done with NSA's enormous infrastructure of compromised machines around the world. And we believe, again, based on some of the Snowden disclosures, that there are um, probably upwards of 100,000 computer systems around the world infected with NSA malware of some kind. Uh, now, you expect that to be protected and encrypted so that uh, even if it's transmitting the data back to Fort Meade, uh, no one else can intercept and read it. But uh, it's just very hard to know how much they were able to obtain and how much that might aid them in either duplicating uh, the NSA's exploits or com taking command of them effectively and turning them into spies uh, for themselves as well. Uh, I think an additional uh, thing that ought to be troubling about this, or at least that ought to inform uh, our debate going forward, is uh, really in two areas. One is, recall the recent dispute between Apple and the FBI concerning uh, backdoor access to securely encrypted systems. And, uh, you know, the proposition was put forward that it was really sort of hysterical to worry that if the government was given some kind of master key to uh, millions of iPhones around the world, or at least a key that could be turned into a master key, uh, that, that somehow they would have trouble keeping it secure. But we are now faced with uh, you know, evidence that very probably for a period of some years, uh, someone else has had access to NSA's hacking tools. So I think that ought to uh, give us some pause when it comes to the question of whether we want to uh, ensure them really unlimited access to encrypted systems, or at least in unlimited technical access, even if they, uh, we believe they're going to jump through various legal hoops. And the other issue has to do with uh, the issue of what's sometimes called the vulnerabilities equities process. That's the process NSA and other intelligence agencies are supposed to go through when they discover a software vulnerability. And they say that in the majority of cases, sooner or later, they disclose those vulnerabilities uh, to the developers so that they can be patched. They discover that there's a way you can hack uh, Windows or, or uh, you know, the iPhone, and they inform the developer about it so they can close the security hole. But sometimes, of course, uh, they decide to delay that. that. They decide that, well, they don't want the security hole closed quite yet. They'd rather use it themselves, develop their own exploit, and use it to hack uh, the targets they're interested in. And uh, I, I think actually, in principle, probably no one thinks that that's absolutely illegitimate. Sometimes uh, some kind of brief delay like that while you uh, use those vulnerabilities against very high-value targets may be justifiable. But um, it certainly ought to weigh in to the process to understand that when you use instead of disclose, uh, it may be that uh, those vulnerabilities are being co-opted by other actors, not just 
independently discovered by other actors, but possibly exfiltrated and used against uh, against Americans or against our allies. What questions does it raise about how the NSA engages in internal audits of its people and processes? And it's hard to say right now because for the moment, we just don't know a lot about how this data was exfiltrated. Um, it is probably not the case that someone literally hacked into NSA. That is, um, almost certainly what, what happened was not someone broke into the computer systems at Fort Meade at NSA headquarters. Um, what probably happened, and again, it's early days, we don't know for certain, but assuming this is all genuine, it's more likely that there was some sort of command and control server um, independent of NSA, of course, you would want something sort of separate and deniable um, that was used to launch uh, these malware attacks and to control systems um, that were infected and to receive data coming back from them. Uh, and it appears that perhaps some of those tools were left on one of these staging servers. Uh, and then, again, this is guesswork by security researchers, but uh, someone who was targeted by that malware may have been able to detect essentially that they'd been infected and then that the malware was calling home and then gotten back in, hacked back effectively, and pulled the software that was being used to attack them. Julian Sanchez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and with Cato's iOS app, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>